Some of you might know the name Eric Weyenmayer. He lost his eyesight to a degenerative eye disease at age 13. And then he writes this. He says, shortly after going blind, I received a newsletter in Braille about a group taking blind kids rock climbing. I thought to myself, who would be crazy enough to take a blind kid rock climbing? So I signed up. <laughs> 20 years later, he was the first blind mountain climber to reach the peak of Mount Everest. A mountain where 90% of climbers never make it to the top and to date where more than 300 have died trying. Do you know what was the key to making it for him? He would tell you, listening. Listening. He listened to a bell tied to the back of the climber in front of him. And he followed very closely that sound. He listened to the voice of fellow climbers up ahead of him who would shout back, Death fall to your right! Can you imagine? So he would know which direction not to go. He listened to the sound of his pick jabbing the ice so he would know whether the ice was safe to cross. He listened really well. And his life depended upon it, of course. You know, in, in Mark 4, our reading for this week, Jesus put significant emphasis upon the importance of listening. Perhaps if you were reading in that chapter this week, you, you heard it. And I think on this morning that we want to celebrate communion together. We come to the table as God's people. The lesson that I feel that God has put on my heart for this week seems especially appropriate. The chapter, if you've read, you recall, begins with Jesus. He's teaching by the lake. The lake, Mark calls it, also known as the Sea of Galilee. And the crowd around him grew so large that, that he got into a boat that was there on the shore and pushed out a ways and taught the crowd from there. Isn't that a great image? I, of course, I, I find myself wondering if, if it helped all that much. Unless he went out you know, deep enough that, that people couldn't stand in the water around him. And then Mark tells us this. Jesus taught them many things by parables. Many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen. Listen. And then he taught them a parable that, that I'm guessing is, is probably pretty familiar to us. So, so let's do what Jesus says for just a couple of minutes here and listen to the parable. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Well, didn't everybody have ears? More than likely. But some just didn't seem to hear as well as others. This is the first teaching content of Jesus that Mark records for us. Now, we know that he's been teaching because Mark says he went here and there teaching. But this is the first time that we readers of the story 
learn something about what he is teaching to his crowd. Now, last Sunday, we did hear him teach something that was somewhat troubling to the teachers of the law. You remember? After they accused him of having an evil spirit to which he said, people can be forgiven of all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. And when we hear that, don't we just kind of go, ooh, what is that about? God's people through the ages, if they have any sensibilities at all, wonder what is the forgivable sin? Is, is there really a sin that God won't forgive? Well, evidently, Jesus seems to think so. So, let's talk about it for just a few minutes. I promised you last week that we would do this. And, and I, think it, I think it leads well into to where we want to go this morning. Do you remember what Jesus had been doing when it was the teachers of the law some of the religious leaders that made that accusation. Do you remember what he'd been doing? He'd been teaching and he'd been healing. He'd been doing what he had been doing all along. And you remember, too, the crowd pressed in around Jesus and Mark throws in that line that they, there, there wasn't even room to eat a meal. At that point, then he says, his family thought he was out of his mind. So... His family came to, to rescue him. So family thinks he's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law, the teachers of the law, the religious authorities said he was possessed by Satan. Beelzebub. Another name. Here's the deal. According to Guy. Take it for what it's worth. There's plenty written about this, let me tell you. Jesus came along doing things that people had never seen before. Jesus came along teaching in a way that people had never heard before. How many times in the Gospels do we, do we hear them say, Oh, he teaches with someone who has authority. His teaching is, is different than what we've heard. You, you get sprinklings of that throughout the Gospels. Teaching with authority, healing, raising the dead. As the God-man, Jesus was filled with the Spirit of God. Everything that he did was done for the glory of God. And, 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 and as God in a man, the God-man, he wasn't even interested in calling attention to himself in his human form. He was, he was concerned that, that, that people understand the nature of God, the nature specifically of, of his Father. So he's doing what he does in the power of the Spirit of God for the glory and, and, and praise and reputation of God, and he's accused of being filled with Satan. 
Does that register as a problem with any of you? It did with Jesus. I think that's what's going on. I can't imagine the look in his eyes. I can't imagine the the tone in his voice when they said what they did. He is filled with the Spirit of God and to suggest that life-giving, life-changing power, that life-changing power comes from the enemy of God suggests that someone who would say that, someone who would think that, someone who would live into that, their heart is in a terribly dangerous place. Now, Jesus didn't tell the teachers of the law that they had committed the unforgivable sin. It was kind of a backdoor approach. He said what he did in such a way, I think, that they hopefully would take a look inside and (laughs) realize that they needed to rethink some things, that they needed to change. It is consistent with his, his, his teaching message, repent. Repent. The time is now. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. He'd been teaching this, Mark tells us, since the beginning, telling people that that now is the time to repent of their old ways of thinking about God, thinking about themselves, and to believe the good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus was living out before them. And to suggest that he had come and was doing all of that in the power of Satan was the worst thing that anyone could ever say. It amounts to a denial of Jesus, to not believing what was before their very eyes. And I think we all would agree that to deny the person and power of Jesus and his mission, and and give the enemy of God glory for only what God can do, that's unforgivable according to Jesus. Though those who have moved away from a position like that, or even close to that, and have truly repented of their sin in their lives, Do they ever go there? I don't think so. Again, my opinion. Do God's people have times of doubt? Absolutely. Do we sometimes wonder in the midst of difficulties, God really loved me? Is the good news really true? Yeah. Can we go there? Is the good news really good news? We... We know as God's people, we can have some pretty dark times, but, but let's be honest. I, I, think, I think Jesus is speaking in hyperbole, which doesn't mean that it's not true, but I think he's upping the ante for the audience that is hearing what he is saying because of what they have just said and what they have just suggested to suggest that his power, his life, his mission is coming from the enemy of God is to glorify Satan. And that is something that doesn't come from the heart of the redeemed. 
so then I would say that, yeah, a person who dies with that state of heart, sin is probably unforgivable. But up until someone takes their last breath, I think God's forgiveness is always available. Make any sense? That's what I do with the unforgivable sin. Hope that is maybe helpful a bit. A slight bit. So back to Jesus' teaching to the crowd and, and our lesson for this morning. Jesus knows that there is great authority in what he says and in what he does. Jesus knows who he is. And so when he says, listen, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Sisters, the, the, and, and brothers, to hear the voice of Jesus is to hear the voice of God. To be in the presence of Jesus is to be in the presence of God. Mark records Jesus using that verb to hear 13 times in this chapter. Evidently, it's pretty significant in Mark's mind. The Shema of Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It was the confession of faith that a faithful Jew would, would recite daily in their prayers. Hear, O Israel. The Hebrew word Shema means to hear. So when Jesus prefaces his parables with hear, listen, comes around again with whoever has ears to hear, let them hear, it's very likely that the people would have heard in his words and made a connection with the authority and the presence of God. Make sense? Which is exactly what Jesus wanted them to do. And the thing that got him criticized by the religious authorities because that was blasphemy. Ironic, isn't it? God speaking the words of God but the authorities struggled to think outside of their, their theological constructs, which is what Jesus is always challenging us to do. He always challenged them to think outside of what has been said, what has been written, to think about possibilities that were new and mind-stretching and life-changing and challenging as he introduced and taught about and lived into the kingdom of God. Okay, we've heard Jesus speak the words of a familiar parable, spoken with the authority and the presence of God. Now let's, let's stand and read what comes next, shall we? <clears throat> Here we go. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, 
The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some a hundred times what was sown. Oh, my sisters and my brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. The words of Jesus, and I might add a, a, a parable explained. We're not always given explanation of the parables, but, but this one we we get to hear an explanation. We get to be part of the insider group. Don't you love the question that Jesus asks? Don't you understand this parable? Wouldn't you just love to see the looks on, on the folks sitting there? Well, I, I get it, Jesus. It was him. You know, She's the one that wanted to ask the question. I know what you're talking about, Lord. All right. Can we put up our next slide, Don? We just read these words in the top paragraph. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. I want you to ask your neighbor, who are the others? And why are they important to this story? Twelve and the others. Who are the others? Go ahead, speculate a bit. It's not a trick question. But there's really not an answer. <laughs> okay, I'm going to cut you off. Since we don't really know, it's speculation, right? But I would love to hear the speculation. What do you think? Who, who are the others? And then some thoughts on why is this important, Monica? D said. Ah, my neighbor said. Women. Yeah. Sure. Man, isn't that neat? Good answer. I like that. Yes. Ah, oh, Jesus so esteemed and loved women. Elevated them to a level that society just didn't get. Greg, comment. Mark talks a lot about crowds. Boats off of the shore, big crowds. Okay, go ahead. Ha <laughs> ha. Good, good. I like that. <laughs> You know, there could be some truth to that. 
Exactly. I mean, Jesus is all about pouring his life into the 12 so that they will then do the same for others. Yeah. Yeah. They were hanging around. Yes. Yes. There's just, there's so much mystery to the life of Jesus. And, and you know, what he did and, and, and why he did it. You know, and I think this is, this is one of those places where the others, all kinds of possibilities, you know, and, and everything that you've said is just, is so right on. I think it, because it's so possible, we, we don't, we don't know for sure who they are. Uh, what we do know is that, that they were following Jesus. Mark emphasized the crowd. We've, we've seen that. Uh, he was in the boat. Chapter 3, do you remember chapter 3 when Jesus went up on the mountain? He called the 12 from the crowd. So there were obviously others who were following Jesus. And some of those others came with the 12 seeking explanation for the parable. And he said to them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Now, we don't know for sure what the secret is, but the context that we are seeing in Mark would lead us to believe that that the secret has to do with the coming of the kingdom. That's, That's what he announced at the beginning of Mark's gospel. That's what Mark records for us. And so... The secret of the kingdom of God is coming in the person, the words, and the actions of Jesus, and that is drawing a whole lot of people. Some who seem to have ears and others who do not. Mark revealed Jesus' identity to us in the introduction to his gospel. But the 12 and the others, in terms of where their life with Jesus was at, I think they're just beginning to start to, to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And, and they're what I think of, this is poor wording probably, I think of them as, as part of the insider crowd, if you will. Which, there's a little bit that goes on in this text that we want to move to that, that, that falls into that conversation the insider crowd, those who are willing to follow Jesus, they get to, to learn the secrets of how life in the kingdom of God works. They, they are willing to listen to God, to hear and to act. And I think that's why Jesus uses those words from Isaiah 6. They may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Teaching in parables so that people may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Some, some commentators will say that, and I think this is true, that, that God doesn't give the same grace in terms of like revelation of himself or deeper spiritual, you know, understanding of deeper spiritual truths to those perhaps who aren't ready for it. I think there's some truth to that. I also think that we need to understand the context of what Isaiah, or where Isaiah was living when he spoke those words 700 years before Jesus uses that quote. I think there's a bit of Jesus saying that the people of God, and in this context the Jews, They are notorious for never getting it. 
They're notorious for never understanding. They had been that way for centuries. God did amazing things for them. And when Isaiah spoke those words 700 years before Jesus, it was because there was destruction coming. And it took destruction, it took a stripping away of everything that the people knew and had in order for God to get their attention again. Take away all that they had so that they were forced to deal with their neglect and their dishonor of God. And I think that what Jesus is teaching his followers in this familiar parable is 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 how people everywhere will respond to the teaching of the kingdom of God coming to them in the revelation of Jesus. And so it seems to me that you have the insiders and you have the outsiders. But the difference between the insiders and the outsiders is that the outsiders who become insiders are willing to get close to Jesus. They're willing to draw near to Jesus. They're willing to be honest and admit, I don't get this. But they come into the presence of Jesus in order to, to learn and to grow and to, to gain understanding. One commentator says this. He says, the only way that parables can be understood at the deepest level is for one to dare to become involved in the world of the parable, to be willing to risk seeing God with new eyes and to allow that vision to transform one's being. I think that's exactly what Jesus was doing to everyone who heard his teaching. He was challenging them to think about God and themselves in relationship to God in, in new structures. Consider new possibilities. Jesus certainly chose 12 to be his closest disciples. Those two, as I mentioned, Randy would, would pour their li- his life into, but, but discipleship and secrets of the kingdom are not limited to them. Others get to participate and be insiders too, if they're willing to draw close to Jesus. And so I think the question for us this morning is, is how close are we Following Jesus. Are we creating times, even moments in busy lives and busy days to to be with him and to listen to him? And I think, (coughs) frankly, I think that that that's really maybe the more correct way to, to approach this parable that is so familiar to us because we tend to think, I tend to think, and I think we probably all do, that Jesus is describing the, the hearts of unbelieving people. This is, this is the way unbelieving people respond to the gospel. And I don't think that that's wrong. But I also think that he's reminding those who are hearing him <clears throat> Because in just a few more chapters at the end of Mark, <clears throat> excuse me, he's going to send them out into the world. And I think what Jesus is suggesting is, here's the way people are responding to the teachings of the kingdom of God. They're responding this way to me, and you can expect that they will respond this way to you as well. 
when you go to be my representatives, to spread news of the kingdom of God and a savior in the world. But I also think that there's a possibility that the human heart being the human heart, even in the redeemed, our hearts go to these places as well. That it's not just a soil condition of an unbeliever. It can be a heart condition, a soil condition of the believer. The soil along the path is, is a reminder that Satan is alive and well and doing everything he can do to keep the seed from taking root in the hearts of people. Some believe that, that there's an urgency that is communicated there, that persons need to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. I think that's, I think that's why it's so often in, in the ages of the Crusades, you know, we would, we would hear Billy Graham say, you need to, to, to decide and decide tonight. Don't go home and think about this. Decide tonight. Some will see Jesus do great things like those who heard him teach and saw him heal and cast out demons. And, and what do they do? They accuse him of being possessed by Satan and plan to kill him. Some hearts refuse to give the news a chance. And, sna- and Satan then snatches that from them. There are still those people in our world today. Others receive the word with great joy. Then the hard times come, including persecution for believing in Jesus. Life, the new life that, that is growing in them does not last Jesus says the life that begins to grow shrivels. When trouble comes because of the word, Jesus says they fall away. The Greek word there is interesting. It literally is they are scandalized. So a person comes to Christ and they're growing in Christ and then hard times come and and then perish the thought they are persecuted because they're a follower of Jesus. And they are scandalized. How how could that happen to me? How, How could this be right? How could this be fair? Jesus said it will happen. And it happened to him. There are others whose lives are so filled with weeds, Jesus calls them the worries of the world, that the new life Jesus brings cannot grow. The life is it's suffocated. It's, it's smothered. We tend to worry about things, don't we? From time to time. And now, this is so interesting, and, and, and I need to, to, to bring this to, to a close. But all these soils have heard the word, but growth doesn't happen or doesn't happen for long. The seed does not grow into a plant that produces fruit, which, of course, is for the benefit of others, the, the, the fruitful life. And here's what I find really interesting. Jesus doesn't tell us what makes the good soil good. He simply speaks of soil that is fruitful. And he points out the reasons that soil is sometimes not fruitful. But when he speaks of the soil that is fruitful, he uses a verb. Again, it's the verb to hear. But he uses a tense that means 
The soil hears and keeps hearing. It's a present action that carries into the future. They hear the word and they keep on listening. The fruitful soil, the person who, who hears and lives a fruitful life. And, and by the way, we, we have to remember that fruit is always for others. We don't live this fruitful life for ourselves. We live a fruitful life as, as God chooses to use us and bring fruit into our lives and produce through us fruit through us for the sake of others. The fruitful soil, the person who hears and lives a fruitful life, is the one who draws near to Jesus and welcomes into their life all that Jesus says, whether they understand it or not. The one who lives a fruitful life is the one who is not surprised and withered by hard times nor persecution for following Jesus. The fruitful person is the one who hears what Jesus has to say about worry and worldly concerns and and, and makes room for the life of Jesus to become the priority in their lives. The key to living a life of fruitfulness, obviously, staying close to Jesus, wanting to hear from Him, being vulnerable with our questions, and being honest about the things that we struggle with and don't understand. 